Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is the Slow Poisoner. I come to you from the future with these words of warning. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 107. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkeys' Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this! This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys! Plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> get headquartered 
a timeline of the monkey solo years written by michael a ventrella and mark arnold those two guys it's available in hardback paperback or ebook from bearmannermedia.com or from amazon get your copies today cool i'm gonna get one today My Warren Kramer book is finally being laid out and is looking really good. I'm still working on my Mad book and a new Kool-Aid Man article. We'll discuss these and other new projects throughout the year. Letters, we get letters. Jeff Craig had this to say about episode number 104. This is so fascinating. You guys are great. My dad will love this. I need to download it and put it on his Kindle Fire Reader as he and my mom have never gone digital. No computer, no internet. Today's guests are a past guest, the incomparable Charles F. Rosney, and he has brought along a keyboardist and a record producer who has played with the Turtles for over 46 years. Here he is, Andy Kahn. So here we are. Um, I don't know if we want to call this Fun Ideas Podcast. Basically, I'm doing an interview with uh, Charles Rosney, who is a good friend of mine. We talk monkeys. And Andy Kahn is a new friend of mine who's played keyboards, and we're finding out Mellotron on a lot of Turtles records and a number of other records that we'll probably talk about in the next hour or so. So welcome to the show. Well, I am very, very honored to be here, my friend. This is fun. You guys are a lot of fun. I can tell already. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so I'll, I'll let Charles, it seems like Charles had a few questions. I have a bunch of questions. They're on paper here. So it's like, I'll let Charles start. <laughs> can, can I, uh, let me just start off by saying I never played the Mellotron with the Turtles. <laughs> That's All so, right. so many of the credits credit you as that. <laughs> no, which, do you mind me asking what, what album or what record that says that? I'll have to look again. <laughs> I can, I can, I can uh, shoot you copies because I can't look while I'm also doing a recording. I know. <laughs> we'll have to do it afterwards, which is fine. Okay. Well, we'll keep it on keyboards then. <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, all the key, I do grand piano, Hammond B3, uh, the ARP, uh, string ensemble was the name of the synthesizer that I used back in 1975. So those were the three instruments that I had on stage, and also a Casio. Oh wow! A little, a little Casio, like with one octave. That's crazy. And I use that for funny shit, you know. I think I, I think on this album, New York Times, you got credited as Casio a few times, if I remember correctly. Yes, and uh, there's another. <laughs> there's another album called Checkpoint Charlie. Checkpoint Do you have Charlie. that? I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have it, but I know it plays from the center out. That's the only thing I know about it. <laughs> yes, it's it's uh, Mark Volman, Howard Kalin, and Andy Kahn sitting in the office of Flo and Eddie at the Herbie Cohen complex, which had uh, Frank Zappa, George Duke, Tom Waits, and Flo and Eddie. So uh, Mark Volman would roll these gigantic joints with four, four papers, you know, like a cigar. And each one of us had a Casio, a little Casio keyboard. And uh, we would jam and smoke and sing. 
and uh, uh, we added on to um, a project that Flo and Eddie did with the turtles backstage and in hotel rooms. It was called the Rhythm Butchers. Yep. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of uh, EPs that Rhino Records put out called the Rhythm Butchers. And in any event, Checkpoint Charlie is this, an extension of the Rhythm Butchers with us stoned out of our brains sitting in the office, you know, and uh, playing the Casio keyboards. So uh, on that particular album, it's uh, I'm on a song called Show Me the Way to Go Ohm, you know, instead of home. Right, ohm. right, right, right. <laughs> hey, so, uh, that, I'm sorry. Thank you for telling us about Ch Checkpoint Charlie, because that was probably one of our questions. Before we go any further, uh, if we want listeners to know that you've written one of the coolest books of all time and uh it's called the most famous musician you've never heard of a rock and roll scrapbook and it's got you know hendrix and ringo and nilson and little richard it just on and on and on uh, ray bolger gray slick so uh if our listeners want i know they're going to want to pick up a copy of that to start with um but you know a big part of your musical scrapbook as being the most famous musician people have never heard of, which is changing quickly with all these great interviews you're doing. Uh, when did you get started? How did you meet Howard and Mark? And when did you get started with the Turtles? Um, I was uh, with Jimmy Carl Black, uh, the Indian of the group with Frank Zappa. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jimmy and I started a band called Geronimo Black. Right. And Bunk Gardner and Tom Levy, Jay Contrelli, uh, and there was a lot of other musicians that we had in the band as well. We had Oz Bach from Spanky and Our Gang. In any event, Jimmy Carl Black was asked by Frank Zappa to be in 200 motels. Mm -hmm. And so Jimmy and I got in my VW bus and we drove down La Cienica Boulevard to uh, the rehearsal studio where Flo and Eddie were with Zappa and all the crew from 200 motels and musicians. And they were, they were rehearsing. I don't know why that's happened. Sorry. That's a, they were rehearsing, uh, you know, the material for 200 motels. You know, Lonesome Cowboy Bert. My name is Bertram, I am a redneck, you know. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, at that rehearsal, uh, you know, Frank Zappa didn't allow anybody to smoke pot. Did but, not. But anyway, uh, Mark Volman and I went out to the parking lot and smoked a joint. And, uh, you know, we started talking and he says, wow, you keyboards with Jimmy. I said, yeah, I play keyboards and I play drums and guitar and all that. So eventually, um, Mark asked me to join the band uh, when we were at Cherokee Studios. Uh, it was a four track studio in Box Canyon in Topanga. 
And uh, so I was doing a Little Richard uh, organ overdub for a movie called Let the Good Times Roll. And Flo and Eddie were there doing uh, overdubs on a cartoon that they did called Dirty Duck. And it was also called Cheap, which is one of the, one of the songs on Illegal, Immoral, and Fattening. Right. Anyway, so uh, Bruce Robb is one of the owners of Cherokee Studios. And he was the keyboard player for uh, Flo and Eddie's uh, first two albums. But whatever the case may be, uh, he couldn't go on the road because he was busy being an engineer. So uh, Mark Volman just said, hey, Andy, uh, would you be interested in going on the road? And that's what happened in 1973. I joined the Turtles. Wow. So 73 is when you started. Yes. It was like uh, mid-year, maybe a little bit. Yeah, it was the, the touring season. So we were doing a lot of concerts, lots of concerts. And so you, you came on as both a session guy and a, and, a, and a touring guy. So you were officially a member of the band officially. Officially, yes. And I was the clown. Everybody <laughs> liked to pick on me. But I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed the attention. It was, it was always fun to be the guy. So you weren't in 200 motels, you just were around it. it uh, like yeah, it actually uh, helped uh, our band, Geronimo Black, get a record deal. Because, okay. you know, uh, since Jimmy was a star of the movie, singing Lonesome Cowboy Burt and everything, uh, the record company was very impressed and uh, signed us to uh, a record deal okay. in 1972. And that, that was Russ Regan, and he was with Universal, you know, Universal Records, Uni Records. Uni. Okay. 1972. I remember Uni, because Uni became MCA, I believe. <laughs> but uh, we had so much fun on the road. I mean, uh, uh, there are some great stories. One time we went, went to Australia, and uh, I don't know if I spoke about this earlier, but I'll I'll say it again. It really sticks out in my mind as a, a really wonderful story. So we're on a, a Pan American 747 flying to Australia. And uh, the, the stewardess knew that we were from the Turtles. And she <laughs> went to the captain and said, you've got some celebrities on board. You have the Turtles. <laughs> so, the, so the captain this is 1975, so there was no, you know, 9-11 or anything. Every, the, the, the pilot's door was wide open. So he, he invited us up to the cockpit, uh, Mark Volman and I. So we went up there, and we opened up these little chairs that everybody sits in in the cockpit. And uh, the pilot turns around and goes, do you guys play backgammon? And I said, sure, yeah. So here we are sitting in the 747. It's on autopilot and playing backgammon. Then I'm looking, I'm looking around the windshield and I look at the top of the windshield and there's a whole series of numbers at the top. And I, 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 I asked the captain, captain, I said, 
what are those numbers? What do they do? What is this? He says, go ahead, put your finger on that little wheel there and turn the wheel, move the numbers on the wheel. And so I start moving the numbers and this, the airplane starts to bank to the right. So I was, I was driving this airplane with my index finger. With, wow. with, th with 350 <laughs> souls aboard, I was, my, the lives were in my hand with my little index finger. I, drew, I flew in at 747. So to me, that was very exciting. I guess it was, it was the only, well, not the only time you were flying with the turtles. <laughs> oh, I tell you, we were doing some heavy duty flying. <laughs> We, we had a special way of hiding marijuana on the road so nobody knew we had it. Well, do you want to tell us your, uh, your secret? Yeah, you buy, a, you buy empty capsules, you know, like capsules for medicine. You can buy them empty with nothing in it. Right. And you open them up, and then you ground up the marijuana, and you put them in the capsules. And then you put the capsules in your vitamin jar. And then you put that in your suitcase, and nobody knows the difference. Now should've they do. Paul, should have told Paul McCartney. <laughs> oh, I know. We should have told Paul McCartney when he got busted in Japan. Holy right. moly. Exactly. <laughs> so you never got busted. You never got busted. Our, our drummer did. Our Oops. drummer uh, had a joint in his fanny pack. You know, at the at the uh, you know the 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 place where they uh, check you for guns and shit. What's that called? The TSA, whatever. Right, security. So, uh, yeah, he had a joint in his fanny pack, and they had a German Shepherd. So the dog went running up to him and shoved his nose right in his fanny pack, and they busted him for possession of a joint. And he had to pay $125, and hmm. that was it. <laughs> oh. you, uh, you toured everywhere? You went around the world with the Turtles? Yes? Well, basically, we went to Europe uh, as the two-and-a-half-man show, which was just Mark and Howard and myself. And we did uh, Australia two times mm -hmm. and uh, New Zealand. So that's about it uh, that, that I've been with the Turtles, you know. Yeah. So, so uh, I think we, we did a lot of great television. Yeah. Uh, Mark, I think we want to focus now on, on specific albums and recordings. Yeah? Okay. Okay. So I'm going to let you uh, run with that. All right. Um, I just wanted to ask a couple things first about your own career before the Turtles, just a little bit. I mean, I look on your website and you talk about being in a group called the Jaguars and later the Individuals in the mid-60s. And you got a little bit of traction, but did you get any major success out of that or what happened there? Well, um, I, we were doing excellent. I mean, we were 15 years old, 15, 16, 17 years old. And... Uh, uh, of course, the Beatles were the reason I became a musician at Sullivan Show. But we, I, I started this band. I had a Farfisa organ. It's a combo compact, Farfisa. And uh, uh, I, I 
played it through a Hammond Wesley speaker and a bass amp. I actually isolated the, ba the left-hand bass of the keyboard into a bass amp and the right hand of the keyboard into a Hammond Wesley. And we won every single battle of the bands in Westchester, <laughs> Westchester County in New York. We were the hottest band in town. <laughs> and uh, uh, Felix Cavalieri and I were good friends. Uh, he lived right down the block from me. And we would go hang out and watch uh, some bands play at a, a nightclub called the Five Points in uh, in uh, Rye, New York. Or, and uh, there was a guy on stage with a Hammond B3. And I said, holy shit, that's the most wonderful sound I've ever heard. And Felix and I were, were all freaked out. And then Felix got a Hammond and he uh, went nuts. You know, that uh, <laughs> Felix and Dino were with uh, Joey D and the Starlighters. Right. Yeah. But anyways, so uh, in all these early years of me writing songs and recording in a two-track studio, one take per song. You know, we just rehearsed and it was one take a song and wham, bam. Now, one of those songs, uh, uh, a guy named John Kalagna, who was a very close friend of Felix, uh, took me to a studio in New York uh, called the uh, A&R Studios that was owned by Roy Sakala, the creator of the record plant. So we recorded an instrumental called She's Gone Away. And uh, later on in 1980, uh, David Gibson of Moxie Records uh, released that instrumental from 1965 as Johnny Farfisa's Greatest Hits. He named me Johnny Farfisa because I played uh, Farfisa <laughs> Oregon. Anyway, so... I all of a sudden overnight I became a garage band cult hero. Johnny Farfisa sold out of the Moxie Records sold out within a couple of months, and that same dollar ninety eight vinyl EP goes for seventy eight dollars on online right now. Wow! So. Uh, there's a record company in Spain called Munster Records, and they heard about me, and they signed me to a record deal, uh, and released all these 1965 Johnny Farfisa demos that I did, two track demos. Wow! So that that was my early career before anybody knew anything about anything. Okay, I just said that. <laughs> I just had to ask that because I was looking in your website and then it jumps into things that I know. So, I mean, I, I just always, when I interview people, I always just have a little background, how you got started and everything, but then we'll jump right ahead into Flo and Eddie. Okay. So the first album you worked on was this one, a little more fattening, right? Yes. Now, did you work on just the live tracks or on the studio tracks too? Well, uh, 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 there was one studio track that I played on on that album. It's called Rebecca. Great okay. song. We, Great we, song. We did that. Uh, the album was recorded live, uh, you know, on a 24-track uh, truck. 
that was parked in the alley next to the Roxy. And uh, if you know what a 24-track machine looks like, those reels only last 15 minutes, but they needed hours of music. So they used extra large 24-track reels. I mean, that last a half an hour each or, you know, close to that, whatever. So we recorded two nights live of us performing at the Roxy. And, uh, you know, uh, Gracie Slick and uh, uh, Alice Cooper and uh, Bernie Taupin and all these, Commander Cody and all these people would come down and stuff. It was a real big deal. And then uh, later on, we did some other tracks in the studio. But uh, that was all recorded live at the Roxy. It was wonderful. Was there a lot of stuff that didn't make the album, or is it pretty much the whole concert? It's the whole concert. It oh, was okay. a couple of added studio, like Rebecca. And then I think Let Me, Lake, Let Me Make Love to You was the song they did with Ainsley Dunbar and okay. some other guys, uh, uh, Don Preston and uh, uh, Gary Rolls, I think. Yeah, did I think that it was recorded in track. 74 or something, a year before. You yes. Know, this- yeah. Right. And I think they released it twice, if I if I read it correctly. They released it as a single, and then when the album came out, they re-released it again. And it's still unfortunately flopped because that's a great song too. So. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah. I love I love all their material. Uh, that uh, that album was so much fun to record. Uh, you know, because of all the satire and the pop star dildo. And all these really funny skits that uh, Mark and Howard see. Howard Kalin got all of his humor from George Carlin. Mm. George Carlin was, you know, Howard idolizes George Carlin. You know, his amazing, uh, intelligent humor. <laughs> yeah, I love Carlin, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, just out of curiosity... I know that they got the rights to do the turtles over time, or at least their uh, the master tapes and everything. Was there ever a conversation around that time to just build themselves as the turtles, or was the flow and Eddie thing the thing carrying them on in the seventies? Yeah, when the turtles broke up, uh, the management uh, screwed Mark and Howard, and they uh, Mark and Howard were forced. Uh, to not use the name Turtles because of contracts. So they had to change the name to Flo and Eddie, which, do you know the history of how they got that name? I believe they're named after two ex-roadies or something like that, if I remember correctly. Yes, (laughs) Frank Zappa had two roadies, uh, the fluorescent leech and Eddie. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, Flo and Eddie adopted those names. And uh, and he changed it to Flo and Eddie instead of Fluorescent Leech. Although you can see on that Warner Brothers Green album, I think, or yeah. one of them, it says uh, Fluorescent Leech, right? Yeah, that's the first one. Yeah, the one, one right. on my finger there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But in, in any event, so that's how they got those two names. What were we just talking about so I can remember? Oh, just uh, if they ever toured or were ever considering touring around that time as Turtles, since eventually they did get the rights to the name, or did they? Okay, so so they didn't have the rights to the name Turtles, so they went oh, okay. on 
as Flo and Eddie. Eventually, for $80,000, they purchased the masters, Happy Together and all the white whale masters for 80 grand. Wow. They purchased <laughs> it, and now they be, are officially turtles again. So they were able to tour as the turtles, but they kept Flo and Eddie because that was their new thing. Right. And uh, okay. so they would book Flo and Eddie of the, and the Turtles. They would call the band the Turtles, and they would be Flo and Eddie. Okay. So that, that's how that came about. All right. I was just wondering if, uh, you know, after they purchased it, they still had uh, reservations about using it, but it sounded like they used both eventually. So, you know, <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, once, once they bought all the ma Masters, Oh, the meeting no longer has a time limit. Okay, can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Keep going. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah I got a sign on my screen that says uh, the I Zoom. Do too. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, so, uh, what was the question? Quick. Oh, sorry, we're all interrupted by that. Uh, no, uh, just basically, you know, touring with the Turtles in the 70s and, you know, them using the name or not using the name, and you kind of explained it. I mean, I can move on to the next question because uh, it kind of just leads into the next album. I mean, uh, so the next one is Moving Targets, which you talked about. And, Unbelievable album. I um, it, this one's mainly a studio album. And, and my question on this is, was there, a, I don't know how to word it. I mean, I don't want to be offensive, but I'll say it anyway. Was there concern about not being you know, like making number one hits like the, they did as the Turtles? Or was it just like, we're just going to have some fun and screw it if we have a hit or not? Actually, there are two or three songs on that album that we were trying to make into a hit. Okay. As a matter of fact, there's a song on that album. It's called Keep It Warm. Great song. Now, there are great songs time, on it, but yeah, they weren't charting. That's not, <laughs> I, I know it was a wonderful song, you know, but uh, um, every time we performed on stage, as soon as I started that piano part intro, the audience would cheer. They loved that song. And it's very unfortunate that that didn't become a, a hit. There, uh, and there was uh, another song on that album that I'm very proud of. It's called Best Possible Me. And uh, the string arrangements and the horn arrangements by Alan McMillan are all based on my piano part. So it really makes me feel, oh my God, that's made me feel really good. I mean, that the, the whole arrangement of the strings and horns were all because of the way I performed the piano part on that song. Now, did they accept your input? You know, I know you didn't get major writing credit or anything on here, but I mean, if you had like, can I play the keyboards this way or whatever on any particular track? Or were you told how to play? Uh, well, you know, their stuff is so easy and simple <laughs> and you just have to be tasty. You can't overplay. And, you know, you have to be really basic rock and roll simple. You can't mm -hmm. be complicated. So uh, they both Mark and Howard guided me on how they wanted me to play the song. And it was really easy. So there was really, you know, nothing wrong. 
And if I did something stupid, they would tell me, you know? <laughs> there's, there's, some, there's some overplaying on the drumming in some parts. And, uh, you know, Moving Targets is definitely a, more of a rocker. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the ones you mentioned are st certainly standouts. But it doesn't, you know, you wouldn't put that on and say, oh, this is a Turtles album. No. Right, right, yeah. I mean, ex except for maybe a remake of Eleanor. That's the only thing he did on <laughs> Yeah, that remake of Eleanor, uh, that's when I used that ARP string ensemble <laughs> for the course. Why, yeah. why, why the remake? Oh, uh, well, the Turtles own the song Eleanor. Right. And Howard Kalin wrote the song because Happy Together was number one. And the record company said, we want another Happy Together tomorrow. <laughs> so Howard was on the road and he went into his hotel room and on a napkin, he wrote the lyrics to <laughs> Eleanor. And what he did was take the same formula as Happy Together. Happy Together's vocal was designed after the zombies tell her no. You see, the verse is very silky and soft. You know, and if she should tell you, you know, very soft, like, imagine me and you, I do, very soft. And then the chorus was tell her no, no, no. <laughs> that's why Howard went, I can't see me, you know, real strong. So that was the formula for Happy Together. And the, the rhythm was straight four. So it was right. bum, 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 bum. So what he did was Eleanor, you know, you got a thing about you, you know, very soft and airy and silky. And then Elinachi, that would see the big loud choruses. So it became number one. And uh, Howard brought the napkin to rehearsal and Johnny Barbada, Jim Pons, Al Nickel, and Mark Vollman all arranged Eleanor with Howard. So they all got writer's credit on that song. So the Turtles own the publishing and writing for Eleanor, and that's the reason that they used it on this reissue. That's true. They, they owned it by now, so yeah. <laughs> the, way, the way you describe both those songs also applies to It Ain't Me, Babe, even though it's a Dylan song, where it's that silky, sweet uh, verses, and then it's, you know, no, 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 it just rocks. You know? <laughs> that, that is the formula of the turtles. Yes, that yeah, is the formula. Figured and, it out. <laughs> and, and, and literally, Howard Kalin did that because of, who's the lead singer on the zombies? What's his name? Colin Bluestone? Yes, that's the reason. That's the reason that Howard used that formula, the silky verse and the strong chorus. Well, uh, you can't compare the two because Kalen's vocal and his, you know, strong choruses would blow away uh, anything the zombies did or any, most of the other bands around. Well, can I just say something? And I'm being honest from the bottom of my heart. Yeah. Howard Kalen is the best vocalist I've ever run into in my <laughs> life. He's right there with Little Richard. 
He's right there with Paul McCartney. He's right there with every uh, amazing vocalist. Howard never sings out of tune, ever, mm-hmm. ever, 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 ever. He never sings out of tune, and he can hit any note you give yeah. him. He has an excellent yeah. range. Ridiculous. I mean, the song I always know, which I know you didn't record, is Love in the City, and it goes way up there. It's like, I can't hit those notes. Even when I was young, I couldn't do that. <laughs> so. and, and then uh, Mark Volman has an extremely high range, you know, on the harmonies. Mm-hmm. You know, bang your gong, get it on. That's Mark mm-hmm. Volman and Howard Kingman singing yeah. the, at the top of their range, you know, bang your gong. um let's see so um i guess after you did those two albums you you just kind of kept touring around during the late 70s because the next album wasn't until 81 so uh were you constantly on tour with them uh basically during the 70s and 80s absolutely we were touring all the time Mm -hmm. and uh, uh we did a couple of tv shows we did uh Lloyd Thank Lloyd Saxton, and we did mm-hmm. Dinah Shore, and we did a pilot uh, with the uh, unknown comic called Sunset Strip, and you know we just did a bunch of stuff. We did Gary Shandling's show in 1980. I remember that. <laughs> Actually, the first time I heard of Flo and Eddie, but I didn't know the Turtles connection because I was a kid. Um, I was a big fan of Martin Mull because he's on uh, Fernwood Tonight. And oh, he yeah. had Flo and Eddie on there. And they did bun and run commercials and things like that. Really weird stuff. Were yeah, you part I, of that? Well, yeah. Uh, Martin Mull uh, was sitting next to me at the piano. We did Midnight Special with Flo and Eddie. And uh, Flo and Eddie and Martin Mull and an accordion player by the name of Billy Sheets they did some funny skits. And then uh, Flo and Eddie and the Turtles got on and did a, a cover tune. I forgot uh, the name of the song already. Um, oh, well. Anyway, uh, so Martin Moe uh, did a skit with Flo and Eddie that's on YouTube. I, I posted it uh, where they're playing Peter, Paul, and Mary. And they do Puff the Magic Dragon. Wow. And it's uh, Martin <laughs> Moe is Peter... And Howard is Paul, and Mark Volman is Mary. Mark, you're going to have to add that to the book. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, I saw so a photo hilarious. of that. I've never seen the footage, so I'm going to have to look oh, that up. I, it's, it's on my YouTube channel. I, I've got it posted uh, with the uh, – yeah, I can send you the link or whatever, you know. But it's hilarious. Andy, uh, you, you know, you mentioned hilarious, and, and, and that goes hand-in-hand hand with these guys. You know, humor and music, and it's such an asset. And in most of the videos, we see Mark goofing around. Um, the question is, if he played instruments, and he, and he also, you know, did horns and did so much that's credited on the records, how come he wasn't doing that in the videos and in, the, and in the live spots that we see on TV, how come it's just throwing a tambourine or just being silly? Why didn't, if he was such a good musician, why didn't we see that in the visuals? Well, the saxophone stuff was with the crossfires, you know, when they were in that surf band way before the Turtles. Right. But uh, he, he worked, uh, Mark and Howard both played sax, and they weren't really great saxophone players. They were just average. You know, you know, one note shit. 
But uh, Mark is a good guitar player. He writes, he plays rhythm. He plays rhythm. Yeah. And there's some really funny stuff he did with the guitar, too, of course. But uh, uh, he is the clown. He's the one who makes everybody laugh. And Howard is the straight man. You know, that's how they've always been. You look at all their early videos, uh, you know, uh, and Howard's trying to be a serious guy singing, and Mark is, <laughs> you know, all over him. They're trying to make him laugh. Right. So that's, that's Mark Volman. But Mark Volman is the manager. He is the uh, businessman of the Turtles. Sure. He, he, he created the West Coast Band and the East Coast Band. For financial purposes with airplanes and hotel rooms and all that, it's much easier to have an East Coast band and a West Coast band. Mm -hmm. Then you don't have to pay for all that extra expense. But in any event, uh, yeah, uh, Flo and Eddie are completely, uh, their resume is so extensive, you will be mind blown if you ever Google the you know all the stuff they've been on you know yeah. from Blondie to Bruce Springsteen to you know Mark Boland to uh, Todd Rundgren uh, just on and on every cele celebrity uh, you loves Flo and Eddie they're the best. Mm -hmm. My so next question. What else would you like to know? Did well, you want the, the, the next album they did, which I'm going to show you in. I didn't know. I didn't think you were credited on it. So when I found out you did work on it, "Rock Steady" with Flo and Eddie, the reggae album. So yes, you appeared was, on this because it's yeah, like all the reggae artists are listed, but I didn't see uh, any keyboardists listed. But then it's mentioned on your website. So. Absolutely, I'm I'm on a song called um, "Oh No." Oh, I forgot the name of the song. Well, I have anyway, the album here. Swing and I, I, I recorded uh, <laughs> organ solo on that album. That's okay. my only cameo is uh, on one song. Oh, okay. So you weren't on the whole entire album. I, on the uh, vinyl, it lists my name, Andy Con keyboards on that specific song title. Let me, I can't let me look closer. Let me look. I mean, well, I can read you all the titles. Prisoner of Love, Stop, Moving Away, Pearl, Dancing Mood, Party Time, Sitting in the Park. Rock With Me, Those Guys, Just Like a River, and the reggae remake of Happy Together. <laughs> those guys. I think it was those, those guys. guys. Okay. I think. I'm not sure. But anyhow, I, I played the organ solo on that uh, particular item. They went, to ah. Tough Gun, they went to Tough Gun Studios in Jamaica, and they used all of Bob, Mar Bob Marley's musicians on this album. Mm -hmm. So Happy Together is reggae. Right. Um, you do get credit on this now that I looked at it. It is those guys. It says Organ Solo by Andy Kahn. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, uh, that photograph on the front of the album was taken in the, in the uh, alleyway behind Herb Cohn's office. Oh, that's funny. Alley. I was there when they shot that picture. Well, yeah, not authentically in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the same days we were doing that uh, Checkpoint Charlie, smoking the joint Casio stuff. That was the same era as doing that uh, because we that's all we did was listen to Bob Marley. That's mm -hmm. all we did was smoke <laughs> joints and listen to Bob Marley. Now, now and, how how did that? I mean, 
okay, this is really bizarre. Okay, so you're doing reggae like Bob Marley, and then you're doing Checkpoint Charlie, like I guess like Kraftwerk or something. And then you start doing children's albums like Care Bears and Strawberry Shortcake. How does that all mesh together? Well, you know, uh, financially, Mark and Howard were really not doing too good. They had to find work. And um, Merikambi Swanson Wolf, uh, the same people that did Jolly Green Giant and all this, they hired Mark and Howard to do the music for Strawberry Shortcake. And G.I. Joe and the Care Bears. Right. So they hired me to hire all the musicians. But basically, it was the Casio, the same Casio <laughs> keyboard. And we were doing, you know, strawberry shortcake, dun, 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 you know, and, and <laughs> we did all these strawberry shortcake albums and G.I. Joe and uh, Care Bears. And it was all hilarious doing kids records now, now who else worked on it because there nobody got any credit Flo and eddie barely got credit and so who's on it i didn't even know you were on it so. well uh, there's an incredible harmonica player by the name of stanley barons who played with everybody in the world i mean this guy is used by uh, everybody so he played harmonica on this album uh Buzz Gardner, the trumpet player from the Mothers of Invention, he played on this album. Uh, uh, Dusty Wakeman, uh, the owner of Mad Dog Studios, who owns a microphone company. And uh, who was the bass player? Uh, I think my friend Tom Levy was the bass player. Anyhow, I contracted all these guys. I actually have the uh, contract in my book. <laughs> which shows all the uh how how the you know the session went all that all the names now, of the guys now did these albums just kind of run their course i mean they did more albums without them or you know uh so why is there only so many did they just get tired of doing it oh uh, well it just uh, that was what the contract was they they, oh, did, okay. they did x amount of recordings and uh, Strawberry Shortcake split them up into a dozen different albums. <laughs> and uh, there's a bunch of G.I. Joe and Care Bear, you know, but it's all the same stuff. You know, what, was, it, was it all done in like in a few sessions? How was it done? Well, I did most of the work on the, on the Casio. And then we got the drummer to come in and we got the guitar player and the horn player and the harmonica player. But it was it was all really simple, simple stuff, you know. You know, just you know, really simple stuff. Right. So I um, have heard a little bit of it. I have some, one of the albums I think, and I have heard some of it on YouTube. So yeah. <laughs> right, and did no, they I, did they speed up their voices? It sounded like they did a little bit, kind of almost absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was a whole strange era. The the their office was in uh, Miss America, the same office that Miss America was. Flo and Eddie got an office there, so they were in the same office with Miss America. It was hilarious, really funny. Now, now one thing I read, I think it's one of the strawberry shortcake one. It might have been one of the Care Bears one, but one of them has. Uh, it gives a credit of Christina Applegate before she was unmarried with children. 
as doing one of the voices. Were you yeah. present when they did voiceovers, and was she there? Like, <laughs> no. The only character I met was the girl who played Strawberry Shortcake. We went to her house. Okay. But uh, it, you know, a lot of celebrities did the voiceovers on all that. Okay. So yeah, it's true. Okay. <laughs> Now, uh, let's see. I'll just move on to the next one. This one you actually got a credit as the Turtles. It's the Turtles featuring Flo and Eddie, uh, Captured Live. Did you work on that one? Uh, it all depends on the songs and, and where the venue was. What does it say? Uh, let's see. Are you on that one? It doesn't say, but it says recorded live at the bottom line NYC. And oh. I know it's a 1991 concert, so... And yeah, I could tell uh, there was a time when I was not with the Turtles. Okay. And uh, that, you know, there was, uh, you know, I, I was fired from the band. What? <laughs> um, my wife and I were getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. And um, I was very depressed. And my musical chops mm -hmm. on the keyboards were down. I wasn't up to par. And okay, so yeah. we were going to go out on the road with two keyboard players and it was too expensive to hire an extra guy on stage. So they wanted me to learn all the synthesizer strings and play the piano and the organ and the Wurlitzer. So I have to play all these string parts and horn parts plus rhythm, which I wasn't, in condition to do hmm. so uh, mark volman brought me you know loaned me a synthesizer so i can practice doing all this stuff and i failed the audition wow <laughs> so uh, the same week the same week that mark and howard said andy you know we're gonna have to get some guy who can play all this stuff we love you but you know we can't use you and that was the same week my wife said i'm taking the kids and I'm moving to Phoenix. Wow. So in that one week, I was fired from the Turtles, and I was divorced, and my wife took my kids to Arizona. Wow. So uh, I was completely blown off the planet Earth. But later on, I did um, the Demo Doctor, which I had Harry Nielsen and Ringo Starr and Jimmy Webb and a lot of celebrities, Eric Carmen, recorded in my living room. And that brought me back in the Turtles again. Mark cool. Volman called me up six years later and said, we want you back in the West Coast Band. You're going to run the West Coast Band. And that was in 1990-whatever it was, uh, three or whatever. Okay, so but, that was after this. Yeah, the two listed on here just is Chris Apostle, and Peter Zale, I don't know if you know them or yes. know of them. Yeah, yes, Peter Zale and Chris Apostle, yes. Those were the guys uh, who took my place. But uh, that's when the, they did a whole bunch of bottom line uh, recordings. Uh, I'm on one of them from the yeah. 80s. Yeah, most that's of them were this in the one, 90s. New York Times, yeah. <laughs> the New York Times, I'm on one song or something on that okay. one. Okay. Yeah, but... Um, uh, I was doing a lot of stuff with Mark and Howard in the studio during that mm -hmm. six years, you know, the mm -hmm. strawberry shortcake and all those stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh, we did the Gary Shandling show. 
we did a couple of other uh, thing. I did the thing at Universal City Studios where I met Harry Nielsen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I met everybody, Elvira and uh, uh, Mickey Dolenz. And, uh, well, I already knew Mickey from the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, Eric Burden and uh, Dean Torrance and, uh, you know, Richard Lewis and all these, uh, Kevin Meany. <laughs> but uh yeah i saw so i was doing a lot of stuff uh when i was fired from the band we still did <laughs> studio stuff and i would still get high with them and hang out in the office and stuff wow. so you know <laughs> there was no bad feelings but my chops got really good being the demo doctor i got all my chops back and i was able to play everything perfectly so now yeah. i'm okay <laughs> that's great um, I think also on your website, a uh, couple non-Turtles albums I want to talk about. Uh, one is uh, The Monkey's Pool It. What did you do for Pool It? You mentioned Mickey Dolan, so. Yes, I was hired by their producer, uh, Brian O'Brien. <laughs> Harold Bronson called up Lewis Natkin, I think mm-hmm. that's his name. And he said, Andy, we want you to play some keyboards on a, the Pool It album. Mm-hmm. So uh, d- uh, there was a Davy Jones song called I'll Love You Forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the one I'm on the keyboards. Oh, okay. Cool. And so uh, there was a really funny, funny story. Uh, when we toured, when I rejoined the band, you know, in the 1993 or whenever it was, um, they would introduce me as the guy who played this keyboard part. And... Uh, I would go, you know, <laughs> do, you, know uh, you know, the monkey song, and everybody in the audience thought that I was the guy who wrote that part. Oh, Mark <laughs> Vol- See, uh, Mark Volman treats it as, as theater. So they right. would tell you the drummer was with Santana washing his car, and the guitar player was with Stevie Va- Rant, Van, Stephen Ray Vaughan and the uh, uh, bass player was with the four tops, and they said I was played that song for the monkeys. It's all <laughs> a lie. It's all, <laughs> it's all theater. That's how okay. Mark Volman explains it. So, so you uh, only played on that one song on that album. You didn't tour with them ever. Nope, never did. But we did oh, tour okay. with the with the monkeys a lot. Oh, that's what I meant. You you did tour with the monkeys, but yeah, so in, as in the turtles, with, though. Okay. Yeah. All right. There was, okay. there was there was one really wonderful concert with the animals, the monkeys, and the turtles, and I said to myself, "How cool is that?" You know. <laughs> Just for Mark's edification, it was uh, Dolan's Jones Boyce and Hart at that time, yeah. and, the, and the animals, and uh, Andy with the turtles. Oh, so right. it was that far. It was back in the 70s. I thought it might have been in the 80s. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think that was in the 70s. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, there was a Happy Together tour, but in between that, we would do some Monkeys concerts. And, uh, right. Yeah. A lot but of I know with all those Happy Together tours, I'm sure you're always bumping into people. I mean, you're bumping into Mickey, you're bumping into Ron Dante, you're bumping into... Over the years, probably David Cassidy and Bobby Sherman, you know, when they joined forces and everything, right? Well, I've met every 
idol that I grew up listening to, Tommy Rowe, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, all these guys, what's the uh, little children, why don't you go back? Billy J. Kramer. Billy J. Kramer. I met met him. I met all these amazing, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Shoot. Uh, all the all the guys from the Happy Together tour, you know, yeah. all the different bands and all the different acts. But you, uh, I got to meet so many people because of my relationship with Flo and Eddie that I'm very grateful for, which really made it easy to write the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a couple more albums I want to talk about. One, um, you, you mentioned on your page uh, working on what became Harry Nielsen's final album. Now, it wasn't clear, but it sounds like you're not on the album, but you were on the demos. Is that how it worked or explain? Yes. Uh, Harry and I became high school buddies. He had uh, 11 kids at home and he was never home. He was over my house, smoking a joint, going for a ride in his car, listening to all of his music and we're singing at the top of our lungs. So we were very, very close. And I recorded 35 songs in my living room with Harry wow. Nielsen. Wow. On the, the beginning of it was on a four-track cassette. <laughs> and uh, uh, we actually did a, a soundtrack to a movie called Me, Myself, and I. It's uh, featuring George Siegel and Joe Beth Williams. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harry and I did the... the all the music to the movie and the theme song. And it was all recorded on a four track cassette. And uh, when we went to the premiere, we laughed because it sounded wonderful. It sounded big and huge on these speakers (laughs) in the movie theater. But Harry and I were laughing going, if they only knew it was a four track cassette. So that's really funny. But Harry and I recorded 35 songs and uh, when he passed away, uh, you know, Mark Hudson uh, had done some songs with Harry. But Harry was angry at Mark Hudson because every time Harry would call Mark up, he would never return Harry's call. And so he says, Andy, forget it. I'm going to just work with you. So we did 35 songs in my thing. And uh, at the funeral, you know, Mark Hudson gets up and says, uh, Andy was Harry's home away from home and he encouraged Harry to get back into music because Harry had stopped playing music and uh, had a, a script company called Hawkeye. And, but anyway, so we recorded all these songs and then Harry died and I gave all the, the uh, master recordings, you know, the cassettes and the A-dat and all the dat to Una, Harry's widow. And then Mark Hudson, 20 years later, uh, decides to release the songs that I recorded in my living room with Harry and take all my music off the track and re-record all the music with his setup. And, you know, the the microphone was a sure SM58, for God's sakes, you know? And uh, it's really, so when he released the album, uh, they didn't give me any credit at all. They didn't mention me at all. 
and uh, it really pissed me off. And uh, Harry and Mark Hudson and I recorded the very last song that Harry Nielsen did before he died. Hmm. It was called Rescue Boy. It's on that album. And uh, it's in my living room. And I'm, uh, my uh, synthesizer had timpani drums. And uh, Mark Hudson was playing with the timpani drums. And he liked, we were doing uh, high heel sneakers. Mm-hmm. You know, put on your high heel sneakers. And it was a shuffle. Ba-dum, bum, 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 bum. And he played that with the timpani drums. And that became very unique. And uh, he used those timpanis on the album. But I never got any credit for any of that stuff. And at that recording session, Harry said to Mark, he says, you know what, Mark? Please, I want to make it a record right now that I will pay Andy Kahn 10% of what happens with these demos. Mm. And Mark nodded his head and we all said, hey, that's great. I should have said, put that in writing. Yeah. Because wow. if that was in writing, then I would have been covered. But it was just spoken, and there's no recording of him speaking it. So it, it's unfortunate, but that's what happened. Okay. So I had 35. I made myself a copy of all the masters. Oh, that's so great. I have the safety copy. Is, is so there I, any chance of any of the other ones coming out that didn't I, make the... Yeah, I don't think Una wants to do that. She just let this one album come out. And... Uh, I don't know how it's doing. Do you guys know if it's selling? Well, I got a copy of it, so it's probably negligible, I hate to say, because um, at this point, Harry Nielsen is kind of a cult item in a certain way. You know, people who love him, love him, like me, you know, and will remember him for, like, uh, The Point, which is another Wolf Murazaki production. Um or, you know, maybe uh, everybody's talking from Midnight Cowboy or the Nielsen Schmielsen album. But, you know, beyond that, unless you're a really hardcore fan like I am, I have all the albums of Popeye and everything. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kinda, it just kind of quietly came out. I had to order it online. I never saw it in any stores. So, yeah. Hey, Andy, Andy can I ask you, uh, uh, all your, your whole tenure with the Turtles, were you always a um, uh, uh, hired gun? Were you ever on salary? Were you, was it a, 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 a pay-by-play? What was your financial scenario with them? Yeah, it was pay-by-play. You got a gig, you get paid. You got a recording session, you get paid. It wasn't a salary. Gotcha. And that was the case with everyone except for the, for the, for the bosses, right? Right. They owned everything and they ran the ship, but they treated everybody fantastic. Everybody who's been in their band has always been completely happy because Mark and Howard are great entertainers and uh, very professional. And it's a a complete wonderment to play with the Turtles. Oh, I I do have a question about that. It's kind of amusing. I don't know what they do this now. Maybe not since COVID and maybe not since, you know, Howard's been kind of out of commission for a while. But they used to have on the Turtles website a contract that you could print out. And it had basically a list of all their demands that they needed to have a show. And if you paid the fee 
had all the things they needed, like they needed water or certain treats or a limo or what. I forgot all the things. But if you met all those qualifications, they'd play at your wedding, they'd play at your bar mitzvah, they'd play at anywhere, you know. Did you ever do any of those kind of small shows or anything like that? If somebody actually came up with the, the dough and all the, uh, the accoutrements that they wanted. We did several of those. There was wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people that uh, hired the turtles for their private party. And there was one party we played when we ended the, the night, we did happy together, everybody loved it. Then the owner of the, you know, the, the guy the party was for, he says, I'll give you guys extra money. Would you please play happy together again? And all the equipment was torn down. There was no more equipment on stage. So the guitar player picked up an acoustic guitar and Howard sang happy together with the guitar player, acoustic. Wow. Well, <laughs> you know, but we've done uh, amazing uh, small party stuff. Yeah, that is a very okay. true okay. thing. Because <laughs> I was even tempted as a fan. I was saying, hmm, you know, because it wasn't a lot of money. I mean, it was a decent amount. But, you know, if you got a few friends together, you know, you could put it on as if just a few <laughs> thousand dollars, you know. <laughs> but I know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually did all the uh, all the advance work. I was the road manager for the West Coast band. Mm. So they paid me a little extra to do all the advance work with the hotels, air, uh, the airplanes, the uh, uh, the backstage of food, uh, you know, every all the stuff that we wanted taken care of. Mm. So I would do that too. Yeah. I basically have only one more question, and this might take a while to answer. That's why. Um, so I have Howard Kalen's solo album, one and only solo album, Dust Bunnies, and I love this album. Uh, how did that come about, and uh, why wasn't Mark involved? I mean, was he busy, or he just didn't want to do it, or what was the circumstances behind that? Okay, uh, we were on an airplane flying to Belgium to play a concert with the Monkees, Procol Harum, the Trogs, and, and uh, like Slade or something. And uh, we were on the airplane. And uh, of course, I was talking to, I was sitting next to Davy Jones. And all we did was talk about horses. Because <laughs> I love horses and he loves horses. Okay. But then I got up out of my seat and I sat next to Howard. I said, Howard, I'll tell you what. You know, I was doing all these demos with Harry Nielsen and Ringo Starr and Eric Carmen and doing all these demos. I said, let me do, let's do a Howard Kalin album. Let's do, pick out 10 songs that you always wanted to sing. And I'll sequence and program them in my living room on my synthesizer and we'll put out an album. And that's how it came about. So Howard would send me all these songs, 10 songs that are on the album, and I would mm -hmm. duplicate them with my synthesizer. You know, the bass, the drums, the guitar, every, all the instruments. And then Howard would right. sing it in my living room. <laughs> so we made this album, and then all of a sudden, uh, this guy named uh, David Spiro, who was good friends with Ringo and good friends with Billy Bob, and he was running the Rock and Roll uh, Hall of Fame. Anyway, so he called up Howard and said, hey, listen, 
Billy Bob Thornton uh, is offering his studio to you to finish your album that you're doing with Andy. So we go over to Billy Bob Thornton's house. Wow. <laughs> now, I got to tell you about this. This is the most amazing story you're ever going to hear. Billy Bob Thornton lives on Roxbury in Beverly Hills. The house he lives in used to belong to Cecil B. DeMille. Wow. <laughs> and during Prohibition, Cecil would hold uh, alcohol parties, you know, <laughs> in his basement. Now, the basement had a tunnel going from Roxbury Drive to La Cienica Boulevard in Beverly Hills. Wow. And there was a phony storefront on La Cienica Boulevard. And all these movie stars would take their limos, go into this phony storefront, go down the elevator to the tunnel, and take the tunnel to Cecil B. DeMille's house for the party. Now, this is the house that Billy Bob lives, lives in still. Now, Cecil B. sold the house to Roger Corman. And then Roger Corman sold the house to Roman Polanski. Oh, my. Wow. Roman Polanski sold the house to Slash of Guns N' Roses. Mm -hmm. So Slash is the one who built the studio in the basement. So when Billy okay. Bob Thornton bought the house, it came with the studio in the basement. So it's a complete studio. And, you know, he would get all these uh, people to come over. He would get um, uh, Holly. Uh, what's his name? Oh, geez. You know, my brain is not working. Uh, <laughs> Holly Williams, Hank oh. Williams Jr.'s daughter. Okay. Holly Williams. So she would go there. Moon Zappa would go there. Uh, Don was the producer. Yeah, he and I were in the studio playing a couple of guitars and we were jamming on um, a song by Major Lance called uh, Monkey Time. Right. Monkey Time. So anyways, uh, recording in that studio was completely amazing. And Billy Bob did a cameo performance on a song called Music. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I produced the whole thing on Pro Tools. You know, I, I had to transfer the, uh, my demos from my living room into the studio so we can finish it in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Howard actually had some musicians in New York play drums and bass and guitar, but they used a reel-to-reel a, a, a -reel tape recorder and they should have used Pro Tools because when we got the recordings from them and we tried to sync it up with my recording, it got out of sync because it wasn't, uh, it was a reel-to-reel -reel machine that changed, you know, speed. So it was a pain in the ass. <laughs> but we got a good album out of it. Yeah, it's a good I album. I like this album. And, uh, you know, it shows that, uh, you know, like two of the tracks are by the left bank, so apparently he's a big fan of them. And, oh, totally, totally. Yeah. And there's a couple others, uh, but anyway, you know, it's like, um, now, I, 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 maybe I misheard you or something, you know, how did you get in contact with Billy Bob about the studio? I mean, were they, were Howard and him friends, or is it just, 
he, uh, Billy Bob got caught wind you were making an album? Uh, David Spiro. Okay. You said yeah, David, David Spiro right. called Howard and said, Billy Bob wants you to record in his studio. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I just kind of missed that a little bit. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, Billy Bob has in his hallway, in his living room, he has a, a gigantic wall, like a blackboard. And all these celebrities and movie stars would sign it to him. So when Howard Kalin came over, he asked Howard to sign it. So Howard signed it. And then Billy Bob got on his knees and he prayed to Howard, like with his hands up and down, like he's, you know, praying in a Muslim uh, thing and uh, says, you're the best in the world. I love you. You're great. So uh, Billy Bob knew every single word to all of the Frank Zappa, you know, flowing. Okay. He knew so every he's a fan. word. Okay. Wow. All right. <laughs> and he knew every word to every turtle song. He did, Billy Bob was a gigantic fan of mm -hmm. Howard Kalin and Mark Fullman. Wow. Now, was there ever any thought of bringing Mark in on this project, or is it just, uh, let's just do it with Howard? It, it was just designed as a Howard solo album. When okay. I sat next to him on that airplane in 1993 or whatever it was, yeah. and I said, Howard, Let's do an album. Just pick out 10 songs that you want to do, and we'll do it. Although I did get Mark on there just from the standpoint as he co-wrote Easy Street, so I guess that was his nod yeah, yeah. to his friend. He yeah. co-wrote Easy Street. Yeah, that was uh, – the demos that we made for that were funny, too. I've done so many demos with them. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, Andy, how come you didn't do a solo Mark Volman album? <laughs> yeah, I should have. I, uh, I wanted to. In fact, I spoke to Mark the other day. Uh, are you guys familiar with the two-and-a-half-man show I did with Flo and Eddie? It's the two of you and him? Yeah, it's just a, it was a vaudeville comedy act mm -hmm. where we have a slide projector and show movies and have mm -hmm. stuffed animals and, and all these props on the stage. It was called the two-and-a-half-man show. And we toured Europe during that. Wow. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I forgot what I was talking about again. It's all this goddamn marijuana. No, <laughs> I, I had asked uh, if you did a solo album, and you said you just spoke to him about something. Oh, yes, Mark Volman. So, Mark Volman is on the phone with me. He says, let's go on the road and do the one-and-a-half-man show. Because <laughs> Howard is unable to go on the road anymore. Right. He's, his health prevents him. As a matter of fact, Ron Dante is the new lead singer of the Turtles. Right. And what, what they did was every concert tour, they would sell a, a CD of all the groups on the Happy Together tour. So they wanted to put out Happy Together, but they didn't want Ron Dante to sing it. They wanted Howard Kalin to sing it. So they had me record Howard singing in my living room, happy together for this uh, live track of the band uh, on stage. So wow. that was the very final definitive version of happy together that I recorded with Howard. You know, uh, Ron, Ron is a great guy and, and so talented beyond, you know, the Archies and everything else. Why, why was he selected as the vocalist? He, he's certainly not, Mr. Bombastic, he doesn't, you know, what, what, was, what was the criteria 
for selecting him to take Howard's place? Well, Mark Volman made the decision because Ron Dante had toured with Mark Volman and, and Ron does have a good end of voice. You know, he's got a good voice and he's got a great voice. Yeah. 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 So uh, Mark decided to have Ron and uh, he enjoys it because Ron's very uppity and very happy and very positive. And he stands on the end of the stage and watches the whole show. And he's always very, very enthusiastic. He's, he's a really, he's really cool guy. Uh, he produced Barry left. Manilow. Did you know he produced Barry Manilow? For seven years, of course. He also produced Broadway shows. It's beyond, you know, what we know. Ron Dante's uh, credit, credits are amazing. Yeah, he's just a really sweet guy. He's very nice. He's a we real bench. He's one of the nicest guys in show business, no doubt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's really terrific. Uh, we both have... Uh, friends back in New York, uh, David Spinoza, guitar player, who played on the Archie's stuff. Right. And, uh, yeah, so we, we know the same people from way back. <laughs> great, great. So uh, what are the plans now, I guess? I mean, obviously we're on COVID hiatus, but I mean, once that's all over, are you back on the road again? Do you know what's the plans? Well, well, I, I'm not a member of the touring band anymore. Oh, uh, Mark okay. Volman, Mark Volman has a uh, guy named Goffrey Townsend, oh, who's okay. a guitar sure. player, and he Great. put together the band, the drummer and the bass player and the keyboard for the Turtles, for Mark and Howard. So they're sticking with Godfrey and his crew okay. for, for their touring, the Happy Together tour. But, okay. uh, you know... I'm I'm very grateful that I I was with them 46 years. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if you would know this answer to this, but for a while the the Turtles keyboard player was Greg Hawks from the Cars. How did yes. How did how yes. did that come How did that come about? Well, uh, Mark knew him. You know, they they he knew Mark Mark and Howard know everybody. Yeah, you know, I was gonna say they probably know everybody. They know everybody. So. <laughs> uh, they needed another keyboard player for the East Coast band. So either Joe Stefko or Tristan uh, Arvekian, somebody recommended, uh, or maybe Mark just decided to hire Greg. So uh, he did play on the East Coast band. Yeah, another great guy. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of musicians that play with Flo and Eddie, a lot. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I have a question, just because I've seen Flo and Eddie and the Turtles over the years. They have this ability, and they did on the one album you're not on, but, I mean, they have this ability to just kind of go into imitating Bruce Springsteen. Or on the one you did, Illegal Immoral Fattening, you suddenly yeah. just go into Bang a Gong, and then you do Jumpin' Jack Flash, and then you do My Sweet Lord with no effort at all, it seems like. But, I mean, is it hard to just take those cues and just suddenly do a song like that? That was what our rehearsal was, okay. the comedy. We already knew how to play the hit records. Okay. It was just working out the comedy routines with all the, uh, and they, they, they did that with Zappa. So mm -hmm. it's, they took that Zappa show and they put it into their new show with Flo and Eddie and uh, you know, all the funny stuff with the costumes and the, you know, really funny stuff, really funny. I love that album. I mean, just, you know, the funny thing is like the song Cheap 
just the way it's done makes it sound cheap, but that's the whole point, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, know, they really sing good. cheap off key and stuff like that. Cheap! You know? yeah, yeah, what's really great about that song is there's, uh, you know, this whole concert is a great big hunk of <laughs> when we played the Crater Bowl with uh, Fleetwood Mac, we opened up for Fleetwood Mac at the Crater Bowl, and uh, the the news in in Hawaii recorded uh, Flo and Eddie doing the song Cheap, and mm-hmm. so they they let it go that you can hear Mark and Howard singing. This whole concert is a great big hunk of. Shit, yeah, and it was on the news. Oh, in Hawaii. <laughs> and I'm going, that is so funny. <laughs> so that, yeah, it was great working with uh, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, you know, I used to hang out with Stevie on the beach there in Hawaii, and oh my god, what a beautiful woman she is! <laughs> wow, all right. I don't have any more questions, so I don't know. Charles, what do you have? <laughs> I just I want to, you know, once again, give a plug for uh, Andy's book, The Most Famous Musician You've Never Heard Of, a rock and roll scrapbook, which is, you know, a must-have if you love the music that we all love and you want to hear more of Andy's great stories. It's, it's, it's a must-have, and you can get it through Amazon and all the right oh, places. <laughs> it's really no. phenomenal. And Andy is just such a gentleman about doing interviews and sharing his stories. So we want to uh, thank him, you know, from the bottom of our hearts. So I just want to say that and Mark, you can do the close. Okay. Well, I want to thank uh, Andy and Charles for being my special guest on the fun ideas podcast. And we'll see you on the next show. Well, I'm honored. Uh, this has been a lot of fun and I'm available anytime you want. It's, pandem- it's pandemic time and all we're doing is sitting around. <laughs> we'll, call, we'll call you back at two in the morning. Right. <laughs> okay, I'm, ready. I'm ready, my friend. That sounds like a lot of fun. Thank you for listening and thank you, Charles Rosene and Andy Kahn, for being my special guests. Episode number 108 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021. Fun Ideas Productions, thank you and good night. Headed home to a cardboard hut with duct tape doors at the price I'm paying. Don't fall back Don't fall back Don't fall back